Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Thank you very much, Amy. And let me add my welcome um, to Robbins from earlier. It is really good to uh, see you all here. And um, it is an exciting Sunday in lots of ways, uh, not just because kind of terms about to get up and running again, um, all the school children in the church family are going back to school, uh, not just because lots of people have just got results, um, our teenagers in the church family, um, not just because we had Tilly's dedication this morning, but most of all, the thing I'm most excited about is that all the chairs are back. Finally, we can put all our chairs out. We can actually make space for lots of people to come to church and hear from Jesus. It's not that over the last 18 months we haven't been able to, to invite people, and, and wonderfully lots of folk have still come along, friends and colleagues and neighbours, to hear what Jesus has to say but now we've got loads of room again, which is a wonderful thing and a significant Sunday, I think, in our church life. Um, so let me pray for God's help as we um, turn to Jesus' words this morning. Let's pray. 
Our Father, you tell us in this passage to take care how we hear. And so we do pray very much that you would help us this morning, help our hearts to be good soil for your word. We pray you'd help us to take what you say to heart, to persevere, to live in obedience to it. And we pray that would bring huge growth for us as individuals and as a church family, that when you speak, we really listen and respond. And we pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've said today marks a big moment in church life. It's a great time, actually. If you are just arriving in Edinburgh or arriving at Chalmers, kind of checking us out, seeing if you want to settle here, it's a great time to come. Um, we're in Luke's Gospel. We've been in Luke for a while. And actually, our small groups, which will get going kind of properly in September, they'll be in Luke's Gospel as well. So we're going to have a chance to be kind of up close and personal with Jesus Christ. Can't think of any better thing to do with our time. Uh, and, and it's striking what we've got today, actually, because... Uh, you'll see there's an outline on the back of the service sheet. And I've put the question right at the top of that outline. This question, when Jesus' message of salvation goes public, what should we expect to happen? That's our kind of opening question today. When Jesus' message, the message of salvation, goes public, what should we expect to happen? I do think it's really timely that this is the passage we're in on the day when all the chairs are out on this kind of restart day in lots of ways, a kind of day when we're, we're more public as a church than we've been for 18 months, a day when we can throw open the doors. And it is now the case, if someone was just wandering past, they can come in. Yes, at the moment, they have to sign away details or do the QR code or whatever, whatever, but they can come in. No on this kind of pre-booking and you can only come to one service and all that business. It's wonderful. We're going a bit more public. And at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is preparing his followers to go public. We're at the stage uh, in Luke where Jesus has been proclaiming good news for some time. He's, he's been announced as God's saviour, the one who can actually offer hope to a broken world. But, but we're just on the cusp of that message going global, going viral, as it were. Uh, he's, he's chosen a team who are going to take it out. Back in chapter 6, he chose these 12 apostles, these 12 spokesmen, um, who will take the message further. Actually, if you just turn over the page from where we are in chapter 8, so if you turn to page 866 for a moment, page 866 in the Church Bibles. Thank you for the rustling. That's always good to hear. Chapter 9, verse 1, he calls the 12 followers together, and he, he's going to send them out. He's going to give them power and authority and send them out, verse 2, to proclaim the kingdom of God. So at the start of our chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus is proclaiming, and next chapter, he's going to send out his team to proclaim. That's the kind of moment we're in, on the cusp of Jesus' message going public. And so the teaching we're looking at here is the things we need to know before the message goes out. The kind of absolute basics, the, the basics about what Jesus offers. We saw that last week. He offers salvation, fixing the world's problems, and the biggest problem right at the heart of everything forgiveness with God. That's what Jesus offers, the chance to get right with our maker, to be forgiven for what we've done and said and thought. But now, today, we're going to be prepared for this going public phase by hearing about the varied responses that come when Jesus' message goes public. Whenever I'm speaking up here, sharing Jesus' words, 
there is a range of things going on in people's hearts. Different attitudes, different responses. And Jesus wants to prepare us, tell us in advance what's going to happen. Now, we're going to have three points. You'll, you'll see that. We'll look at the passage in three bits. Um, but actually, before we go through the different bits, I just want to say something, uh, two things, actually, that, that all of these sections have in common. Um, so first off, you'll notice these are all about, every single part of this passage, verses 1 to 21, has something about widespread proclaiming. A widespread proclaiming of the gospel. First off, 8 verse 1, uh, Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 are tagging along. So that's verses 1 to 3. We'll see this kind of widespread proclaiming. Jesus is on tour. He's on the road spreading the message. Verses 1 to 3. And then in, in um, verses 4 to 15, Jesus tells a story. Um, verse 5, it's a famous story. A sower went out to sow his seed. People call it the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. Um, and I don't know if you've seen Clarkson's Farm. You don't have to. Don't, don't be encouraged by me to go and see it. But um, it's a program uh, about farming. And apparently nowadays, there are machines that kind of dig a little hole and they put a seed in just the right place. So it's definitely going to grow. But in the old days, the way you did farming was you had a bag of seed and you just grabbed a handful and you kind of flicked it. You kind of flicked it like this, sowing the seed, broadcasting literally throwing the seed wide. And Jesus' picture is that this seed is being spread all over the fields. There's all sorts of different places it's falling, widespread sowing of God's word. And the seed, if you look at verse 11, when Jesus explains the story, the seed, verse 11, is the word of God. So it's another picture of Jesus' message just being sprayed all over the place, widespread sowing of the word. And then the third picture, verse 16, it's a picture, if you've been camping this summer, I mean, why? Why would you go camping? But anyway, if you have, and you're in a tent, it's cold, it's kind of that slight damp feeling, and it's dark, you can't find your, your coat or whatever you have to sleep with, and um, you light a lamp, one of those little gas burners, it goes, or maybe an electric one if you're more eco-conscious, you don't put the lamp behind the cooker, or the portaloo, or the, the, the camp bed, you try and get it as high in the tent as you can. You, you want it to shine out so everyone can see what's going on. And that's the picture, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Again, it's that widespread spreading of God's message. Broadcasting. And actually, that fits where uh, Luke and, and Acts, the sequel, is going to go. This is a book where the message of Jesus is going out and out and out. Starts with just him proclaiming, then the 12 proclaiming, chapter 9, then the 72 that he sends out to proclaim, and eventually, in Acts, the whole church is going out to the whole nations, to the ends of the earth with the message. That's the first thing all the stories have in common. Widespread proclamation. Um, but the other thing they have in common, and this, this I think, has, has really um, struck me, the response that Jesus is looking for today, so the application that Jesus himself asks for, commands, it runs all the way through the passage, and each time, I think, for me, it's been a surprise. Just look at verse 8 with me, what Jesus' application of the story is. Verse 8, halfway through, as he said these things, he called out, 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or in verse 15, when he gives the explanation of what it looks like to be good soil, verse 15, he says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Or look at the lamp parable, verse 18. The application is, take care then how you hear. Even the episode right at the end with his family wanting to see him, verse 21, he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So the big application, the take home this morning, if you forget everything else, there's one thing to remember, this is it. Take care how we listen to Jesus. As his word goes public, as it's broadcast widely, the message for us is take care how you listen. I've been struck by that. Because that's not quite what I'd expect. I'd expect to say, look, here's the plan, guys. My word's going to go out publicly, okay? And your job is to take it out. Let your light shine, we might expect it to say. Actually, before we get to that, the fundamental question is how am I responding to Jesus' words? Take care how you hear. And so this is an absolutely brilliant passage to be at this point in the year. I know summer can be a really mixed time for us as a church family. Um, maybe some are refreshed, you're, you're raring to go, you kind of can't wait to get your teeth into autumn, into um, a small group again and normal patterns again. Well, if you're enthusiastic to serve, Jesus says, make sure you listen to me. Take care how you hear. Others will be weary, absolutely exhausted. Maybe you were hoping that the summer would kind of set things right again. You're just so tired from the pandemic year, uh, months. Well, Jesus says, even if you're weary, make sure you listen. Take care how you hear. Others will have been wandering spiritually. Might just be dryness. You've just not got the Bible open, not really been praying, not been around God's people. Some, it might be more serious. It might be that you've really wandered into sin. Something's gone really wrong. Something you never thought you'd be doing, you've been doing. Well, now's a great time to hear Jesus offer forgiveness and say, take care how you hear. Are you going to listen to me carefully once again? That's the take home this morning. And I hope having got our bearings on the big picture. Three episodes about Jesus' word being widely proclaimed, going public, and three applications about take care how we listen to that word. Now let's dive in story by story. And, and just in case you're sitting there thinking, how long will this man go on? Uh, the second point is the longest one, okay? So don't get overly excited after point one and don't despair when we haven't got to point three yet. Um, okay, point one. So verses 1 to 3, widespread proclaiming of God's gospel with a variety, a surprising variety of who responds. So as Jesus sets our expectations, as things go public, there's going to be a surprising variety of who responds to God's gospel being proclaimed. Now, if you're with me on page 864, verse 1, we've, we've already talked about Jesus proclaiming the word. No surprise there. That's what he said he came to do, proclaim the message of forgiveness. Um, but the, the, the things that are surprising is, is the extra detail we get in verses 2 and 3. 
Um, you get this list of names. Interesting, not the apostles' names, we had them earlier, but the names of some women who are following Jesus. Even that's quite radically countercultural for the uh, culture that, that Luke is writing into. It's a sign, again, of Jesus' deep love of all kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds. He's not just interested in the privileged elite of society in the day. Actually, it's not just male and female names we've had in Luke. It's the fact that some of these individuals are from notoriously messy backgrounds. Notice that in the details, verse 2. Some women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And actually, Joanna, well, her husband works with the brutal, unpopular King Herod. Joanna's the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. No doubt some of these women would have been poor and destitute, but some of them, explicitly, verse 3, are wealthy and able to provide Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. The point we're seeing, again, is there's just a variety of people following Jesus. That make sense? It's not just the apostles, it's these other women. It's not just uh, poor people, it's rich people who can provide out of their means. It's not just sorted people, it's not just people who've got lives together, it's people whose lives are a mess. When Jesus proclaims salvation all over the place, from town to town, a whole variety of people respond. That's something we're to expect as his message goes public. That's point one. Widespread proclaiming, surprising variety in those who respond. And it might, at this point, sound like things are going to be great, like it's pretty rosy. Oh, brilliant, all sorts of people responding. And actually, if you get into verse four, things seem to be going really positively. Verse four, when a great crowd was gathering People from town after town came to him. Like, sounds great. People are flocking to Jesus to sign up for forgiveness and a place in God's kingdom. Except if you've been here from Luke, we've already seen a number of people taking offense at Jesus. And so Jesus tells this parable of the sower or the soils to show us what to expect. And what to expect is, when there's widespread sowing of the word... It's surprising how many people do not truly respond. Let me say that again. It's surprising how many people do not truly respond. Now, this story of soils, it's not all doom and gloom. We're going to get to the fourth soil eventually, and there's positive encouragement there. But actually, the sobering thing is that in the story of this seed, there is so much wastage. Listen again. Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell upon thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Three out of the four soils are, are failures. Jesus is saying, look, it's surprising, I know, but despite this great crowd listening in, not many will truly respond. I say truly respond because, of course, some of those responses look good initially, don't they? Uh, it looks like growth on the rocky ground in verse 6 and the thorny ground, verse 7, but it's not lasting. Now, I know for those of us who've been a Christian for a while, this might be a really familiar story. You might think, oh yeah, here we go, the four soils, I've heard this before. 
If you just stop and think for a moment, I think it's really surprising there is so much wastage in God's plan. Ever thought about that? Like, Jesus' strategy is to, is to proclaim this message all over the place. He's not like that drilling machine that, that checks out the soil and drills a definite hole and puts the seed in, and, and that's definitely going to grow. No wastage. No. This is widespread scattering of the message. Widespread offering of the news of forgiveness. Even though he knows, and he wants us to know, not everyone's going to respond. In fact, many will not respond or will not truly respond. It's important we know this because if you didn't know this, you might think it's a rubbish strategy. Like, couldn't we do something better than just kind of proclaiming the word to everyone we meet every chance we get? Or maybe the materials are bad. Maybe it's not the strategy. Maybe it's the seed. Is there a way to genetically engineer the Bible to make it more effective at saving people? There are Christians and churches trying that all the time. Could we just leave some bits out or change some bits or just only teach part of it? Maybe that would solve the growth issue. Jesus says it's not the strategy, it's not the materials. This is the plan. Offer salvation widely. Expect mixed results. Different responses. And we need those expectations or we'll easily lose confidence either in the method or the message. That is, we'll stop trying to proclaim the Bible in the different things we do as a church or we'll stop or we'll change the message of the Bible. Because it is pretty unnerving when you discover, I mean, it's so unnerving as a preacher, it's unnerving if you brought a friend along to church to something. It's unnerving when someone hears a bit of Bible teaching whether it's from a sermon or a small group or an outreach event or Christmas program or midweek events, whether it's international cafes or mothers and toddlers or an English language class, uh, we put a bit of Bible teaching in there and there's a range of reactions, not all positive, not all leading to lasting growth. It's unnerving. Easy to think of something's gone wrong there, but Jesus says, that's exactly what happened with me and it is what will happen with you. Okay, that's surprising. But then the disciples in verses 9 onwards get Jesus alone to ask a bit more about the parable. They want some explanation. They, they want some explanation of the wastage. Like, what's going on with the seed and the, and the soils? And actually, in verse 10, Jesus says something which is even more shocking. Um, I've, I've, this is one of the things. The first time I came across this in the Bible, I couldn't believe it's what it was saying. But just listen carefully. Jesus says in verse 10 that he's aware that speaking in parables means that some people will get it and some people won't get it, and that's deliberate. Just look at that. Verse 10. He said, To you it's been given to know the secret of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. I think it's a real surprise, really sobering. It's so different to the, the kind of RE at school uh, explanation of why Jesus speaks in parable stories. You, you know, the one that says, oh, he's just saying simple stories for simple people. He's really dumbing it down so it's really easy to understand. That's not what Jesus says at all about why he uses parables. He says that his stories are act as a filter 
That is, he's telling a, a story about farming and sowing as a picture of salvation and what God's word does in a way that filters those who are listening. It filters the crowd. It's extraordinary, actually. He knows that some people who don't really want to give Jesus the time of day, too proud, really, to listen, to be hungry, some people will just write him off. Oh, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, some good advice on farming. I'll bear that in mind. And there are other people, like the disciples, who are really curious, want to learn, want to come to him, humble, willing to listen, who actually come and ask, Jesus, explain that a bit more. I'm not sure I've got the real depth of what you're saying. Jesus speaks in parables as a filter to those who are listening. They're stories which actually gauge and test interest. And we might think, well, hang on, that doesn't seem very kind, very loving. Isn't that a bit unfair? Well, in verse 10, Jesus is actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah when he says the phrase, seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. He's quoting from Isaiah 6, a time in in uh, the Old Testament, when God's people were refusing to listen to God. It's like they had their hands over their ears and they're saying, la, 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 I'm not listening. Whatever you say, I'm not listening. So eventually God said, okay, I'm now going to speak in a way that if you don't want to listen, you just won't get it. Actually confirm you in, in not listening, not hearing. Absolutely radical. This is actually part of God's judgment. That Every time Jesus' words are taught, those who are willing to listen will hear and grow. Those too proud to listen, refusing to listen, who think Jesus has nothing to say to them, can actually be hardened, confirmed in thinking he's got nothing to offer. Now we'll see more of why Jesus would do that as we go on in Luke um, he is exposing the proud, even as he saves the humble and the hungry. Um, but that's not actually the only factor in the mix. So there's God's judgment. That's one of the reasons why some don't truly respond. Verses 11 to 14 onwards, there are other factors. Let's just look through them um, quickly. Um, so verse 11, first off, um, the different soils we're getting to now, um, the, the, the seed that landed on the, on the path. And the, the, the factor here is spiritual opposition, so it's one of the reasons why easily the word of Jesus can do someone no good. Because the devil, in verse 11, plucks away the word before it's even sunk in. And this can happen in all sorts of ways. It doesn't always feel super spiritual. It can happen by distraction. So we start thinking about the noise of the road rather than what's being said from God's word. Or maybe what we're having for lunch rather than the message of salvation could be temptation. Have you ever had that? You're, you're, you're trying to tune in to, to a Bible study or a, or a talk um, from Jesus and, and his word, and, and suddenly you find yourself daydreaming about something, just thoughts coming into your head, temptations maybe to think about something less edifying. Sometimes it can be kind of rejection or grumpiness, anger. And so maybe we take the hump with something Jesus says, or even just something that's happened in the service or or something, an illustration the preacher used, or something about my manner, maybe. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could pick. Uh, and we get so kind of grumpy about that, we miss what Jesus is saying. That seed of salvation, it just gets snatched from our heads and our hearts. And it's serious, because verse 12, the stakes are huge. Verse 12, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. 
what we do on a Sunday morning. It's not a game. It's not, it's not just a bit of information. It's not a lecture. It's not just education that's going on. Jesus here is offering eternal salvation. The only place to find forgiveness is with him and his message. We're not just adding to worldviews or, or teaching some interesting knowledge. No, life and death, eternal life and death is at stakes. So that's pretty sobering that the devil's always at work around us. It's also sobering the next two, maybe even more so the next two soils, because in each of those there's an initial enthusiasm. Uh, So on the rocky ground, someone's excited initially about Jesus and church. But verse 13, do you see that when testing comes, in a time of testing, they fall away. That might be social pressure for being a Christian, opposition, might be just an awareness of the cost of living for Jesus in a world that doesn't. Uh, And it's striking because this person, they've sunk no deep roots into his word, and so they have no strength to stand. Just look back to verse 6, this this part of the story. The way it puts it is so striking. This seed withered away because it had no moisture. Might just be a warning for someone here this morning. After a summer, maybe, where you've not particularly been nourishing yourself on God's word, not really praying, not really meeting other Christians, not being encouraged. The warning is you can't live on fumes indefinitely in the Christian life. If we're not being nourished, if our roots aren't sinking deep, well, when a time of testing comes, we're in real danger. Now would be a great time to start afresh in good habits of listening to Jesus. Or verse 14, also I think a timely warning, the warning of the thorns. This is the warning that other things in life can squeeze out or choke out Jesus' words. Again, it's worth taking stock at the start of a new academic year. Are there things in my life that are starting to squeeze out my ability to listen to Jesus properly? What struck me about verse 14 is it can be good things and bad things either. Do you notice that? So it could be the cares of life, I don't know, financial pressure, health pressures, pressures of caring for others, whether children or relatives, work pressures, the cares of life. That can choke out our ability to hear Jesus properly. Or it could be attractive things, the riches and pleasures of life. But the suffocating effect is the same, no mature fruit. Okay, let me sum up. Um, We've said a lot on that, but the point, second point is that when there's widespread sowing of God's word, it's surprising how many people do not truly respond for all these different factors, for God's judgment, for the devil's attacks, for external pressures, for choking distractions in our life. But the big warning is for us to keep listening. I've been, I've been really struck by the challenge to keep listening as the application of this. Because in some ways, this is, a great, this is great training for us as we share Jesus' message with others. I don't know, have you ever had that bewildering experience? You, you bring a friend along um, to a carol service or something, you want them to hear about Jesus, it's the best news in the world, and you sit through the, the talk, and you're sitting there thinking, this is amazing, like, Jesus is being proclaimed, it's so persuasive, it's so wonderful, it's just free, it's urgent, so important. You're like, this is great, I'm so glad my friend's hearing this. And then you turn to your friend or family member or colleague or neighbor and you say, what did you make of it? And it's like they were in a different room, heard a different talk. It's not that they're angry, it's that 
it's almost bounced off completely. Comments I've had sometimes like, oh, it was a lovely service, I really enjoyed the music, the speaker was good, I liked his illustration about da 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 his voice was really clear. And you think, did you not hear what, what Jesus just said? Like, eternal salvation has just been put on a plate. Well, Jesus says that's what to expect, that's what happens when his word is, is sown. So it's kind of good training for us. I think it's important for us to have right expectations. But remember, the key application, verse 8, is he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or verse 15, as we're going to come on to the good soil. The challenge is to hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. That is, the first and foremost application is about our own listening. Am I going to listen properly to Jesus in the coming term. And it's wonderful, the promise for those who do. Look in verse 8, this, this final soil, the good soil, the yield is absolutely huge, absolutely extraordinary, a hundredfold. Um, now, I'm not a farmer, although in our garden we are attempting. We've got uh, runner beans on the go and tomatoes. Um, and we've got quite a lot of runner beans. If you like runner beans, talk to me. I've got, I've got more than I can eat um, physically. Uh, but it's not a hundredfold. It's nothing like this kind of bumper crop in the story. And Jesus says, that's what happens when someone really takes my words to heart. And actually, you do see this. I think you see it in the chapter. So Mary's life totally transformed. Joanna, Susanna, their lives are transformed by Jesus' words. You see it in, in life and ministry as well. I know people who, um, uh, I kind of meet them 10 years after I, I first knew them when they'd just become a Christian, and their lives are totally different, priorities totally re- revolutionized. Sometimes that happens immediately. Someone's life, when they trust in Jesus and, and listen to what he says, their life is turned upside down in a wonderful way. It will happen in the lives of the apostles as we go on into Luke and Acts and they start speaking to people about Jesus, and hundreds, thousands are saved through their witness. But notice in verse 15, this good soil, look at how it's described, how the response to God's word is described. These are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, listen to this bit, in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That last chunk is unique to Luke. Matthew and Mark also have this story, but that kind of keeping going with patience, long-term listening, long-term bearing fruit. That's uniquely here in Luke. A reminder that we don't just listen to Jesus once when we start being a Christian, respond to his voice once. It's actually the pattern. It's what we go on doing. That's why it's so good that earlier we were confessing our sins together because you don't just do that the first time. It's an ongoing thing in the Christian life. Okay, so that was our second point. Surprising how many do not truly respond, but there's amazing, huge growth in those that do. But finally, and very briefly, the third picture is widespread shining of God's light. Widespread shining of God's light. And, and here there's a surprising warning about the stakes of, of what's at stake when we listen or don't listen. Just look with me um, uh, at verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. He puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. As we said earlier, there's the the gospel, the good news of Jesus being put right up high in the tent. Let everyone see. 
Jesus never wanted his salvation to stay in a corner. Then verse 17, I think it's talking about judgment day in verse 17. Verse 17 makes it clear there's going to be a day in the future when nothing remains hidden, nothing remains in the dark. It's a sobering thought that there's going to be a day when all the secrets of our hearts and our lives, they're just laid bare, put out in the open. Actually, it's in light of that that, of course, we want the news of forgiveness to go out beforehand. But then look at the application. See, this is one of the bits where I wouldn't have written the Bible like this. Verse 18, I would have expected Jesus to say, so then, given that judgment day is coming, given that the light needs to be put up high, not covered up, so then let your light shine before people. So then, be as a church like a city on a hill. That's not what verse 18 does at all. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. It's that same emphasis. We need to take care how we ourselves hear. And then the stakes, the warning. For to the one who has, more will be given from the one who has not. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That's a warning about how we listen. He's saying again, like he did a few chapters ago, that there will be a great dividing line on that final day of judgment. And it won't be the line between those who were in church and those who weren't in church. It won't be the line between those who heard Jesus' words and those who didn't hear. It will all be about what we do with Jesus' words. Do we respond to Jesus' words? See, if there was someone who was sitting in church and, and heard hundreds of sermons, but never accepted it, never responded, never listened to Jesus, never obeyed, never trusted him personally, well, look at that warning at the end. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying, don't hold me at arm's length. Don't come here for entertainment or education or information. Knowledge alone does no good in the end. But the flip side is, the one who really has it, who's really grabbing hold of what Jesus says, taking to heart what Jesus says, trusting him, well, there's this kind of upward spiral that more will be given to that one. So the more we build our lives on Jesus' word, the more he will reveal to us about what, what he's like, what he cares about. In fact, and this is our final thought as we close, just look on to verses 18 to 21 and see the sheer privilege there is for those who take Jesus' words to heart, who respond to him. Uh, so the, the situation is Jesus' mother, that's Mary, and his brothers are coming to him, and they can't get to him because there's this massive crowd around. Jesus, verse 20, is told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And listen to this. He answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Just an extraordinary moment. The privilege there is for those who listen to Jesus. We've seen the massive growth there is, hundredfold, for the good soil. We've seen um, this blessing of more and more being added as Jesus reveals himself. And now this privileged status. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. To be a family member of Jesus, to have him as our brother. And again, when you stop and think about it, actually that's extraordinary. We're talking about Mary here. I mean, you may have come across um, lots of people from a Roman Catholic background often exalt Mary as a, as a kind of really important and special figure. Um, sometimes the appeal is to pray to Mary because she might have special access to Jesus. She is his mum. He's his, her son. 
Sometimes that can come from, from a seemingly humble place. Someone might feel like, well, I'm not worthy to approach Jesus, King Jesus, perfect, holy Jesus. I'm not worthy. But Mary's great, and maybe she could put a word in for me. So maybe if I pray to Mary, then she could approach the Son for me. That runs completely counter to what Jesus says here himself. See what he's saying? He makes it absolutely explicitly clear that anyone who accepts his words, who hears him and believes him and obeys him, well, they're in the same position as Mary. They have the same privileged access to Jesus as a family member, as a brother, even as a mother, Mary herself. It's a glorious privilege. Okay, our time is is gone. Let me sum up as we close. We've been asking this morning what to expect when Jesus' message goes public. It is going to go public. That's the plan. Uh, His message is to be spread wide like a a guy throwing seed. It's to be be, um, uh, proclaimed from town to town. It's to be stuck up high like a lamp uh, in a tent so everyone can see. It is going to go public. What should we expect? Well, mixed reactions. Mixed reactions. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us as a church family. What should we do? What's the take home? Actually, before we worry about taking the message out, the first question is, take care how you hear. How are you listening to Jesus right now? And if it's been drifting, now would be a great time to get back on our knees and listen to him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray very simply that you'd help us as individuals and as a church family to listen to your word, to hold fast to it in patience, to persevere in bearing fruit, and to obey what you say. We pray we will be characterized as people who hear Jesus and do what he says. And we pray that would lead to massive growth and a sense of the extraordinary privilege of being part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.